Welcome to The Real Python Podcast. This is episode 161. Are you looking to advance your CircuitPython projects? Would you like a collection of resources and tools to help you along your path? This week on the show, Todd Kurt is here to discuss building projects with CircuitPython. Todd has been working with embedded electronics for a long time and has been an active member of the Arduino community. He recently started to build projects using CircuitPython, and it's become his preferred prototype method. He shares software resources, hardware tools, and advice about working with CircuitPython and embedded electronics. We discuss several of his music hardware projects and the libraries and modules for synthesis. He also shares a powerful online prototyping tool to plan your project before spending money or plugging in a soldering iron. All right, let's get started. The Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week, we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, Todd, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I was very excited to talk to you about CircuitPython and all the projects that you do. I have bought several of them. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to just kind of, kind of a little bit nerd out about CircuitPython, but also get some advice for people that are maybe going beyond some of the basics. Like I've had a couple of people on in the past to talk about some of the fundamentals of, you know, getting started with CircuitPython. But I think of like, you know, what are the next level? What are some advanced projects and kind of fun things that you can do with it. And a lot of the listeners already know that I'm really into music and you kind of have that bent in a lot of the projects you do. <laughs> yep. <laughs> anyway, uh, maybe we could just briefly talk a little bit about, about yourself. You founded a, a company called Thing M. Can you tell me a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, sure. It, so imagine a world before the Internet of Things. So around 2006 or seven, we were, me and my, my uh, business partner, Mike, we were trying to evangelize what we were calling ubiquitous computing. Was, this, was, this was like a term of art at the time in academia. And we were trying to just get people to think, like companies mostly, because we were trying to be contract engineers or design products. Yeah. Imagine a, imagine a world where like previously dumb objects could be on the internet and could talk to each other. Like imagine a internet connected toaster or an internet connected dresser, you know, what would they say to each other? And so a lot of it was, was kind of funny in retrospect because right. the internet of things nowadays, I kind of distance myself from because it's gotten a little, uh, useless, you know, like, like does, <laughs> now that all does those appliances are online. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean like, like it's, it's unfortunate because we were imagining a world more like the original, like original net, the original internet where everything was sort of a, a citizen of themselves or a citizen of your house. But, but these internet connected devices now, they're really citizens of a company 
that you rent time on. And so like when you have your internet connected refrigerator, you don't fully control that system that's on your fridge. It's connected to some server like Samsung server or whatever. And so the, the internet of things that is exists today, I think is a very broken one because it's mostly, you know, it, it, it mostly lives outside of your house Yeah. and for, for things that are, that are just purely in your house. And if you have a smart light bulb and you click the button to turn on the smart light bulb, it actually goes through like Amazon servers before it, turns on the light it's like why you know is you just connect directly over your local land so anyway that was the original uh, premise of thingam was like let's make devices that are smart take take previously dumb things make them smart see what happens find some cool new use cases we had a hard time finding cool new use cases um as we've seen now as people have tried for like 15 years but out of the research from doing that one of the things that came out was the blinkum little uh, I2C LED, and this was like in 2007 or 8, that was for Arduinos. And that became very popular. It was uh, back in the day, it was really hard to control RGB LEDs with Arduino. So here was an easy way using the I2C serial protocol. You just kind of plug it in, send it some commands, and it could be whatever color you want. You You can even store color patterns on it. And then I took that idea and made a USB version, and that became Blink 1. And it's just a little... It's it's one of the simplest circuits. It's a USB connected LED that you can control via your computer, and so you just plug it into your computer, send it some commands, and it can be any color you want. It even stores color patterns, and so this became pretty popular um, because at the time you could hook it up to a lot of these internet services out there, like you know, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and get little notifications. Yeah. Nowadays, that's much harder to do because there's been a lockdown of a lot of the APIs out in the world. So the sort of user level, like like normal person level use of the Blink-1 has gotten, has gotten sort of contracted. Huh. But the other main use of it is a lot of these people who own racks and racks of servers and need to know, oh, what is server 74 doing? They can plug a Blink-1 into every server and then write a little script on the server that runs and checks the status and so in addition to their normal real monitoring, they can also have these sort of ambient visual monitoring of what, what the whole server rack is doing. And they can also like, ch- like turn the light on if they, need, if they need remote hand support. Like, oh, hey, um, person who's going to unplug the server, go to the purple blinking server. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and, and that's the one, you know, it's like so you don't unplug the wrong server. Yeah, definitely. So that's kind of thing I'm right now is it's really just a one product company and it's really a one person company. It's like, it's, I'm the only kind of person that does the design work. I've got a couple of assistants that help do the logistics of things and I wouldn't be able to do thing without them, but we don't have employees. We don't have an office, <laughs> just my garage. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It, it sounds like you've had a really interesting background of working with hardware and software and firmware and kind of like combining that over the years, along with just kind of was looking at some of the information that you had put on the page for your your podcast that you had done with Paul Cutler, The Bootloader. And so I was kind of reading from that and I was kind of intrigued by it. But uh, maybe we could talk about that a little bit. That I know it's unfortunately not happening right now, but what was The Bootloader? So Paul Cutler, who has become this uh, sort of like really strong voice in the CircuitPython community. Yeah. He created the CircuitPython podcast and like a, maybe a year ago, two years ago, in the middle of last year, he's like, hey, what if we had a, a weekly sort of news podcast where we just talk about six things that we find pretty cool? And um, and they're in this sort of embedded 
computer space like the CircuitPython Arduino, probably like 3D printers or something. You know, the things like things that people would previously have termed maker. Yeah. In, in the maker area. And, uh, I, and I was like, oh, wow, I, I feel really honored. Thank you. This sounds great. I'd love to talk about stuff. Because uh, <laughs> I'm always finding <laughs> cool things. And yeah, and, yeah. and a weekly podcast would le- at least let me remember them. Because, like, you know, sometimes you forget these cool things you think about. You, you bookmark it, and then you a week later, it's gone. Yeah. And so that's what it was. And it was uh, it was a lot of fun. I had to up-level my AV setup because he initially wanted to do it both audio and video as a podcast and like upload the video on, on YouTube. That's why it sounds so good right here now. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> but towards the end of the year, I think he got like, uh, like, like he's, he's editing the CircuitPython podcast. He was editing the bootloader podcast. Like this was all Paul, right? Like I was, I basically just was the talent that would show up. <laughs> I felt really bad. And, uh, and then his like work was like, uh, like at the beginning of, of 2023 was like, Hey, we need you to do a bunch of work for us. And so he's like, all right, something's got to give. And it was like both of the podcasts for a while. And I think he's just now brought back the CircuitPython podcast. Yeah. seems like they're doing it like seasons now, kind of like he'll record a, a large group of them and and then uh, release them weekly after a certain bit, which I think is a good sustainable practice, especially for somebody where it's not like a, a regular gig, you know, <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, 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 and because that's not time sensitive, right. because it's like, you know, like let's talk about a, an aspect of CircuitPython or a cool project on CircuitPython from this, from the project creator. It's a little bit more, the content lasts longer. So yeah. if it comes out this week or it comes out next month, it's not as important. <laughs> got a bit of an evergreen kind of thing it, it kind of surprises me that, that that's the term i was looking for thank you <laughs> yeah yeah i i'm amazed i have listeners that tell me very often that oh yeah i just found your, your show and i've been listening through all of them and i'm like wow okay <laughs> that's a lot of time it's a huge investment thank you for you know investing that much time and and checking it out but i worry about that sometimes when you know, the stories that you're kind of covering. And so one of the things I try to do is not do so much pure news, news. We'll do like maybe a little segment about it, but mostly we try to cover like projects and, you know, other things. And I try to really push people toward like, you know, Hey, what can you do with Python right now? Totally. Yeah. You were mostly working in C originally. Um, That's where your background kind of started. Mm -hmm. How did you get into playing with uh, Python? <laughs> well, so I'm a big fan of the Adafruit people. Adafruit are the ones who are currently financially sponsoring most of Circuit Python development. Yeah, a good friend of mine, John Park. He he's uh, he does these weekly live shows for Adafruit, and he would occasionally. This is like I don't know three three or four years ago. Would occasionally ask me these questions because he's he's a pretty good programmer, but he doesn't come from programming. Okay, you know I don't know if that, I don't know if that makes sense. Like like I've been I've been programming since I was like. 12. And so a lot of these concepts just sort of have soaked in yeah. and a single word will trigger the association that, oh, I, oh, this is what they're talking about. Whereas, whereas JP doesn't actually have that. So he's like, you know, what does this mean? And I'd, I'd be like, I don't know what this means. This is in Python. I don't know Python. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause like all the, all the like real Python, the, the, the C Python that I'd done in the past were these contract jobs where I'd kind of come in like on a virtual zip line, do the work for two months, you know, bang out some Python that would do some thing and then zip out. And I'm sure my Python is terrible because you know, it was written like either C code or like Java code. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't written. It wasn't, it wasn't idiomatic in Python at all. Right. And, um, and so, you know, he would ask me these very, very simple questions about like how, how Python would do a thing. And I'd be like, geez, man, 
I don't know. And so I started looking up, l- l- looking into CircuitPython. I'm like, oh, this is actually really, really interesting because how to say this succinctly, it, it solves so many of the initial chip configuration problems that I have encountered with doing a, an, an Arduino project of any complexity. Okay. And so, so, so to give an example, let's say you've got a little project that's got a display and it's got a couple of buttons and it's got an SD card and then like a, maybe a little audio output. <laughs> this is, this is actually, actually matching... like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing is, is I mean, like in, in terms of like compared to a real consumer electronics product, it's super simple. Yeah. Yeah, it's much simpler. But like, let's say like you're just making something that just plays a couple of sounds and you want a little display that just lets you pick which sound to play. And so yeah, you got display, a little audio out, a couple of buttons, SD cards, so you, can, so you can load up the sounds. Doing all that in Arduino is a lot of work and you can do it and it's possible. But in CircuitPython, because, because the drivers exist for those functions this is this kind of one of the one of the downsides is the driver has to exist right but because the because the drivers exist and the, the drivers have really good error messages when you try to use them incorrectly it'll tell you in the REPL, hey i can't do that <laughs> instead of in arduino and, and it'll tell you oh and and it's line 13 that is the problem you're having whereas in arduino when you do the same thing it'll just crash and you just you're just staring at your board, your blank dead board, trying to figure out why it's not working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I see what you're saying. Like I, that's one of the things that I think is fascinating about it, and the almost sort of velocity that uh, Adafruit and the CircuitPython team have with, uh, you know, a new product comes out. Okay, great. Well, we should build libraries that support all the different things in it so you're not having to cobble together your own collection of libraries to address all the separate circuits that this one thing does they'll they'll actually make a thing and so now when you import board it's for like that specific board which you know supports all those different things which yep. yeah it's like a you know how much work have they done for you <laughs> as somebody yeah, who's yeah. probably doing and uh, done embedded stuff for a long time yeah and so and so now my current my current sort of strategy for bringing up a new concept like a, like a, like a new a new PCB idea that does a thing it, even if it will be eventually written in Arduino or or some lower level C is I bring it up first in circuit python because I can check to make sure that everything can actually just work like it like it doesn't have to work well necessarily but like like for instance in these modern chips so so let me back up a little bit in old arduino the the original chips that were used in arduino the chip on it had like maybe 20 pins you could use for something and and some of those pins were explicitly for for certain functions so like pins uh zero and one were for serial transmit and receive and pins Six, seven, and nine could be used for PWM, which means you could use them to control servos or 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 use them to to, to change LED brightness, and and like maybe pins seventeen and eighteen could do analog input, and that was it. Like like if you if you wired your circuit up differently, and you're like, oh, how come I can't control my servo on pin five? It's like you had to rewire your board. Okay, it's only allowed to be input and not output, or exactly that, exactly that. And so the chips nowadays, the, the, it's like this next level up. They're they're based on ARM cores usually, but every pin, like almost every pin, can be reconfigured to be a bunch of different things. And and some chips, like the ESP thirty two series, almost every pin can do every function. <laughs> 
Wow. <laughs> which is which is nuts. But like the other but the more common case is you have sort of this crossbar switch idea inside the chip and it can only make certain types of connections. So while you could have say PWM on every pin, you can only have say serial transmit and receive on pins 0 and 1, uh, 7 and 8. 12 and 14, da, da, da. And, so, and, and, you, and there's also maybe a second serial port can be, that can also be on some of those pins. And if you choose poorly, you can end up making that crossbar switch not do the thing you want. And it's really hard to tell that in Arduino. But the way that CircuitPython's drivers are written, when you try to do, like, instantiate these various high-level objects, like the serial object or the pin object, It'll tell you, oh, that thing's in use, or you can't do that on those pins. Huh. Reminds me of uh, of like interrupts on uh, PCs, you know, <laughs> totally. 15 years ago. It's like, uh, <laughs> oh, no, you can't put your sound card on that one because this one's using this for this, you know, board you bought already or something. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's very similar to that. Like electrically, it's very similar to that, actually. And, and so uh, having, having CircuitPython kind of help you do the design work of like, okay, I want to use a display and an, and an audio output and buttons and a, and a knob. Where can I put that? And you have on your breadboard, like the chip you're going to use and you wire it up and you try to do it with in circuit Python and it says, nah. And you're like, okay, why is it saying, <laughs> why is it saying nah to me? And you're like, oh, I see, I see. I can't have the serial on those two pins, but I can have them on these two pins. And you just change the wiring real quick. And you're like, okay, great. This works. And so then you can just change it, change your little PCB that you're making. And, and when you send it off, you get it back and the PCB works first try. It's interesting that you mentioned that you say you start it on something like circuit Python kind of layout what this project prototype it at a certain point and then you may switch it to arduino what would be the the purpose of switching it there is it because of the <laughs> the fact that it's running c or doing something different or yeah it's it's really so one of the things about arduino that is really powerful is that it presents this language that's sort of like c++ but is much friendlier hmm. it's like very much c++ with training wheels and a lot of the functions you call are actually C functions that just have really simple C++ wrappers. And so anything you do in Arduino is running at sort of the full speed that the chip can do. And for things written in compiled languages. And for functions where you need to be a little faster, you can then just write the function in assembly language and put it in your Arduino sketch and that'll work. You know, that, that makes it then bound to that particular type of chip. But, it, but you now get the, the benefit of like, oh, I, I know how to write things in assembly language. Like, like, let's say hardly anybody does, but, but, but if you needed to do that, that is a thing you could do. So Arduino doesn't present you with very much of a floor. Hmm. Like you, you can go down to the very bottom of the chip in Arduino if you need to. Okay. And so, so that's, that's really great. So you can use the the ease of Arduino where you where you can, and where you can't, you can drop down to the really low level stuff. But in Circuit Python, you can't do that. Circuit Python it has this floor that is Python, and Python, yeah, and, and the the uh, Circuit Python sort of, sort of kernel or what do you want to call it, the supervisor, it only lets you do things so often, like so fast. And so if you want to blink an LED really quickly, say, like, like just, just toggle a pin, you're at a for loop to do that, and it can only be so fast, like on the order of milliseconds. Like, generally, if you want to blink an LED, you do something like a PWM module, which 
CircuitPython totally supports. But but where this comes out for me is, say, in if you're making a musical instrument yes. and you want to make, a, say, a sequencer, and you want it to have very accurate timing. Because there's no accurate timing mechanism in CircuitPython, and even if there was, you're still at the mercy of the garbage collector, which will run every once in a while and suddenly throw all your, all your timings off by 40 milliseconds. And and so it's, 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 it's hard to do accurate timing, basically, in, in CircuitPython, which is why, why you want to switch to something like Arduino. Okay. And, yeah, there's ways to sort of, sort of ameliorate it. You know, you can purposely run the garbage collector yourself periodically. You can make sure you're doing things that preserve uh, memory as much as possible and don't do a bunch of allocations to like minimize the amount of garbage collection that does get ha- does get done. But you're still at the best. You're going to have this like plus or minus two or three millisecond sort of wiggle in your timing, which doesn't sound like a lot. But, you know, if you think about it, like a, a 16th note at 120 BPM is like seven or eight milliseconds yeah you know so it's like it, it's already your timing is going to sound kind of wonky if you're doing a doing a, a sequencer of any con- any kind of complexity okay so yeah that's basically why <laughs> yeah no it makes sense like it it sounds like it's it's one of those things i always liked about midi generally is that it's kind of a similar thing where you can as a protocol you can tell it to do you know specific things you're basically remotely controlling lots of things. And I kind of think of maybe yep. as CircuitPython kind of the same way that um, MIDI's too slow to do actual sound, you know, to come out of it. That was always like a big problem I had with trying to teach the subject to my students. They just, you know, it's like MIDI is not actually sound. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, that, that's a, that, it's a really hard concept to get across. Yeah, yeah. And so, but it's just allowing you to control it. So I, I wonder sometimes about like, is there a way to bridge the two the way that like, Python uses these sort of uh, additional libraries like that are written in Rust or, you know, other things like that that can, yeah. you know, be sort of hand off the code in, into these optimized compiled sections, but maybe not on a on this sort of level of uh, embedded systems that you would switch from one language to another after you've prototyped it. Well, that's the thing is that is that that's that's what you do to do anything to do everything interesting in CircuitPython, you are doing that because there's the core libraries that exist in the flash of the CircuitPython uh, that's running on your chip. And that includes a bunch of functions for like the sort of medium of medium to high level of chips that CircuitPython runs on. It includes like being able to access the file system that exists on the chip itself that looks that look that looks like a, a flash drive to your computer. Yeah, yeah. That's that, an amazing thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that includes things like uh, being able to read WAV files um, for audio playback. That includes things like being able to access a frame buffer to do display stuff, both both like on little little LCD displays, but also now, thanks to a hack on actual HDMI displays. And and this is like on a on a little four dollar board. Running Circuit Python, you can write to an HDMI display and like have it display things. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw that project. And I'm very interested in it. Like, I'm wondering about like sort of the visual synthesizer kind of thing that you could do with that. Would you need to like when I was? I think I was looking at a project that you were kind of uh, showcasing somewhere in Macedon as like a link or something like that. And I was like, oh, this looks cool. A friend of mine is like a visual synthesizer freak. He just loves that stuff. Oh, cool. Um, he's a big fan of, uh, you know, Yak, the coder guy from, uh, I, I'm, he, he's done a lot of video game stuff, but he, he's created lots of visualizers over time. But oh, cool. anyway, uh, um, that idea of it, like 
able to fire the HDMI, at that point you're saying it's using sort of a already written library to to access a- aspects of it, but still yes. using CircuitPython. Yeah, yeah. So, so one of the things. So Scott Scott Shawcroft, the CircuitPython lead, yeah, who who you had on your show like I don't know three years ago or something, which is a good episode. Everyone should go check that one out as well. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> But he 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 very early on made this core library called Display IO. Okay, that is a pretty high level API to drawing onto displays, and so instead of just like having pixels you know, like XY and the color of the pixel at XY, you instead have sort of sort of like sprite sheets. Okay. Where huh. where you say uh, at this XY position and this width and height, I want you to draw this bitmap. And you just give it the bitmap and it takes care of drawing it for you. And then later you say, now I want that bitmap at this other XY location and it just redraws it for you. And so Within like a few lines of code, you can make a little game. Yeah, because you're you're not you're not doing this low level. How do I draw a circle? How do I draw a line? You're just like, oh, this bitmap that I uploaded on the CircuitPy drive, draw it over there, and now draw the enemy bitmap over there. You know, <laughs> huh. yeah, wow. and so and so it's really easy. And so the way the HDMI stuff works is it just uses Display IO, but it has a different output device. And um, and so you just kind of set that all up, and then all your previous display I/O stuff that you may have done before on little tiny displays that you hold in your hand can now go onto monitors that you would normally hook up to your computer. That's cool. Yeah, like and, yeah, it's it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely try to include links to some of that stuff and some of those. Uh, like I, I tried to order that. There was a board recently. The it's like a Pico with a yes. DVI. The the uh, yeah the 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 Adafruit Pico DVI Feather, I think, is what yeah, it's yeah. called. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was out of stock, and I think it's you know it's it's popular, so it kind of comes in and out of stock. But yeah, so I haven't grabbed one yet. But in kind of a similar vein, we were talking about you know creating audio and and a handful of projects that you've kind of been focused on lately have uh, at least things you've been linking to. Well, one was you, you were very interested in Mozzie, which is a a Arduino library for like doing synth stuff. Yes. If I'm pronouncing it right. Yeah, I think so. And then I don't know if synth.io is quite to the level of what Mozzie's doing, but that seems to be a, a new library for CircuitPython. Yeah. So, so one of the other really cool things is CircuitPython has really good audio output support. So there's three different ways, three different technical ways you can output audio from from CircuitPython. So you got a lot of different choices. It kind of depends on which chip, because like different chips support different capabilities, you know. As, yeah. You know. But anyway, but once you have the ability to output audio, well, it's like what can you output? Well, one of the other things that CircuitPython makes trivial is if you want to play a WAV file, you can just really easy in like three lines of code pipe a WAV file that's on the file on your CircuitPy drive out the audio device. And so for making things like little sample players, which was one of the first things I did, you can just whip that out really quick because oh, here I've got a directory of WAV files. Here I've got like 12 buttons. And every time you press a button, it plays that WAV file, you know, and that's so easy. So if anybody's interested in sound, I, I quickly steer them towards CircuitPython. So I'm like, you can get a lot of bang in a little, in a small amount of bucks <laughs> with just doing, <laughs> yeah, with, with, right. with just doing, just doing wave files. But the problem is that um, for the longest time is that you, that was all you could do is you could just play wave files. 
And if you wanted to do anything else, like the Mozzie library you mentioned, was a it's a full synthesis. It was, it was actually made for the old 8-bit Arduinos. So everything about it is 8-bit, like the the samples are, the, sorry, the oscillators are 8-bit, the filters are 8-bit. and Sounds very uh, sound chip from a video game system kind of. Yeah, stuff. yeah, it, it's it's just got this kind of kind of fun lo-fi sound. Like, like there's yeah. some parts of it that have, I think, over time, because I've been using it for several years, but the, over time it's gotten a bit more hi-fi if you want it to be. Mm, okay. But um but the fact you can run it on these ancient Arduinos and run it on this on the very modern Arduino capable chips is like pretty amazing. And so I I didn't play with that making cool little fun synthesizers with that, but it's an Arduino and it's kind of grungy, but it is very much like a modular synthesizer in code where you've got like here's an oscillator, here's a filter, here's an LFO, here's an ADSR and you plug them together however you want to make whatever crazy sounds you want. And that's really powerful. You know, if you don't if you don't want to go and, and spend all the money on modular, you can kind of write your write code to do modular in a, in Arduino. And CircuitPython didn't have any of this. You know, you could play WAV files, but you could really only play WAV files at just even one speed. You couldn't even change the pitch of the WAV files to like kind of get a get a fake a fake uh, piano sound by playing the yeah. sound at different different mm-hmm. rates. Much much more like a drum machine playback exactly. versus versus like a true sampler being able to change the octaves and whatever. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so so I made tons of little drum machines in CircuitPython. It was so <laughs> fun. You know, it's like yeah. just plop down this this directory of samples and then suddenly you've got another another whole new different drum machine. But in the last, I think maybe two months. One of the CircuitPython devs, this guy named uh, Jepler, well, sorry, Jeff Epler is his whole name, but his handle is Jepler. Somehow he got the time to work on what is now called SynthIO, which is a synthesis library for CircuitPython, and it's built in. And it's really cool. It doesn't follow the standard sort of technology uh, techniques and names that the uh, like Mozzie does of all the various things, but it can do a bunch of different things that you can't do in almost any other synthesis library. Huh. Like it, it is a sort of waveform, these little single cycle waveform oscillators are sort of its basis, and it's set up such that the, you can you can modify those waveforms in real time as the oscillators are playing which means you can do a type of wavetable synthesis or granular synthesis or like all this other stuff that was like really hard to do for a lot of synthesizers for the longest time. And so you can make some really crazy sounds with a pretty small amount of work. And it's, of course, fully repitchable and it's got um, amplitude envelopes and LFOs and these math blocks. It's sort of like a modular-inspired logic system for like combining LFOs and envelopes and stuff. And and there's a PR right now for doing doing some initial filters, yeah, which is pretty cool. Like one of the one like one of the cool things about wavetable synthesis is you can fake filter sweeps by modifying the wave the waveform oscillator in various ways. Yeah, it's changed the shape of sorts, right? Exactly that. Yeah, yeah. And and so so as as Jepler was working on this, and we were talking about filters, and, and he's like, well, how, how important is filters? And I'm like, well, we can we can kind of fake it by using the wavetable stuff. And he's like, well, let me give it a go. And so, now, but now there's a, and that was a PR for like you know a high high pass, low pass filter, band pass filter, notch filter, I think. And so it's just like wow, it's like I'm I'm so glad to see to see this effort because it seems like such an extra an extra thing that wouldn't be in the core, but, but it is in the core. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I, I thought so that I, was kind of wild. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, but this, but this gets to one of the problems currently with CircuitPython to me, and I don't know if there's a solution to it. 
you mentioned uh, the way that in normal Python you can extend it with these native modules. Like like the most common is NumPy. Like if you want to do operations on big lists of numbers, you don't do it with a for loop in Python. You don't do it with a list comprehension. You load up NumPy and you use the NumPy operations to do operations to do like math on those lists. Yeah. And right now, Circuit Python doesn't have the ability to load native code that's not built into the firmware of, of CircuitPython. And so, so right now, there is sort of a tiny version of NumPy that's built into CircuitPython, but it only has a small subset of the functions available. And there's no way to add more because if you added more there, it would, it would kick out some of the n- new cool stuff. Like it would kick out Synthio <laughs> eventually, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So it would be really cool if like someone could make the really big fully featured NumPy that you could then load in and have it do all the do all the all the fancy stuff that um, that the the bigger NumPy can do. But we we can't do that yet. And but there's potentially a way of doing it in MicroPython, and I think this got ported to CircuitPython, there is a way potentially to load native code, but I've not looked into it much yet because okay. cause, cause even writing, like just, just writing C modules for CircuitPython is, is a pretty heady task. Like I've done a little bit of it. I can, I can get stuff done, but I can't get stuff done to the level of quality f- to be included into the core. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and so I would love to be able to play in my own space with my crappy code that doesn't impact anybody else. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that, 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 and, and that have it, have it be something that someone could, someone else could download without having to recompile their own version of CircuitPython. Yeah. Which is right now, you know, that's, that's kind of the solution. This week, I want to shine a spotlight on another real Python video course. It covers a topic critical for your Python programs to work with text, data, or any type of file. The course is titled Python Basics, Reading and Writing Files. It's based on another section of RealPython's book, Python Basics, A Practical Introduction to Python 3. The video course is presented by RealPython author Bartosz Zaczynski, and he shows you how to understand the difference between text and binary files. You'll learn about character encodings and line endings, You'll get to work with file objects in Python and read and write character data in various file modes. You'll also learn how to take advantage of the CSV module to manipulate CSV data. Working with files will be crucial as you continue your journey as a Python developer. And this course is a worthy investment of your time. And like all the video courses on RealPython, the course is broken into easily consumable sections. Plus, you'll get additional resources and code examples for the techniques shown. All of our course lessons have a transcript, including closed captions. Check out the video course. You can find a link in the show notes, or you can find it using the enhanced search tool on realpython.com. So you had mentioned, this is a, a link that you had in on the bootloader, was this thing called MicroLab, or, you know, it's the micro letter, the U lab. Um, is that what you were talking about? Um, oh yeah, yeah. Modeled after NumPy. Yeah. So, so the for some reason I, I don't understand why, but it's it's uh, the in CircuitPython the package is called ulab.numpy. Okay. And I think ulab stands for microlab, like like maybe yeah. I don't know. I don't know the reason why it's called that. I, I I think perhaps there was an envisioning that other scientific functions would go under the ulab. Okay. Space. Yeah. Okay. But All right. 
And you could choose to add that or not have it or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, all the, I think there's only one entry in the ULAB namespace, and that's NumPy. And so everybody just imports ULAB.numpy as NP and then does the standard np.array okay. <laughs> sort of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they can do some vector kinds of stuff, but it, it doesn't have all the, you know, it's not the full library. It's just. Yeah. What is there is super handy. Like one of the things I use it for that I wrote a blog post about know, a year or two ago, uh, which is let's say you've got a, a a set of NeoPixels LEDs, addressable LEDs, and you want to do the cool effect where you light up LEDs sort of randomly and then you fade the entire strip down to black. Yeah. And so so the way that works is you would basically you know you 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 pick a a location randomly from like zero to number of LEDs and then you set that random number that that random location to the color that you've picked and then for the entire strip you know say with a for loop you go through each led and you reduce its brightness by some amount and so so for every loop you're you're reducing the brightness a little bit and so that's a fade to black and so you could do this with a for loop and that's what most people do and it's slow but if you just recast that data as a numpy array sorry a numpy array and Oh, yeah. So, okay, you're a Python person. Is it NumPy or NumPy? It's NumPy, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I called it NumPy. I called it NumPy for years. People looked at me and I was like... <laughs> it's uh, how so, many people call uh, Pi Pi? They call it Pi Pi. And it's like, well, actually, that's a separate thing. <laughs> it's like, Oh, wait, it's so not called Pi Pi? <laughs> no, it, yeah, it's Pi Pi. Because uh, there's a package called Py Py. It's called Pi Pi. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Yeah. This is, this is a problem that all all my Python stuff is just done by myself, but in my head, I don't really talk to anybody about yeah, yeah. it. That's it's hilarious. Like, you start speaking stuff out loud, you're like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can write pretty well, but <laughs> speaking is right. hard." So, is it tuple or tuple? <laughs> yeah, that's up to you. I've had that battle yeah. already. I did a course totally, on totally. it. Yeah. <laughs> so the problem the problem with uh, dimming these LEDs. With a for loop, is that it's slow. So you do it with a list comprehension. It's a little faster, but it's still pretty slow. But then if you cast that, cast the pixel data into a numpy a numpy array, and then do the just numpy dot add uh, like a, like a, like a ray dot add on that with a negative number, that will do that really fast, oh, like ten times faster than any pure Python solution. And that's because you're doing it in C. You know, like you're you're calling the C iter the C iterator function inside of NumPy that is doing the iteration across your array. And so that makes NeoPixel animations look so much better. It's amazing how <laughs> much better it looks. Just just from the just from this like simple, I'm just gonna think of all the data as num numpy right. rays, and then at the last minute, uh, last minute convert them to the list of tuples that the numpy li- sorry, that the NeoPixel library wants. Yeah. I could imagine you would like see the gradation of it like there it went down a little more and there it went down more and now it's like like smooth you know yeah yeah no no exactly exactly you you, you see the stair stepping and and if you want a nice slow kind of fade out um it's like dunk 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 and it's like oh you put it as numpy and it's like boom but it just looks it just looks smooth yeah. it's awesome yeah cool yeah, I could see how that could co- combine to again the the audio stuff or the other video stuff that you're mentioning yeah yeah, exactly. Like all the all the all the waveforms in SynthIO can be NumPy waveforms. Yeah, okay. And, uh, sorry, so, sorry, sorry. It can be NumPy arrays, and so you can do a bunch of NumPy math 
like, like one of the ways I was doing the fake filter is we do have the NumPy FFTs. And so one of the ways you can do a, a quickie filter is you do the FFT of the waveform and then you chop off the higher coefficients, just set them to zero, and then do the inverse FFT to convert it back into a waveform. And so that's one way of going from waveform to to the frequency components of the wave, chop off the high frequency components, and then make it a waveform again, and boom, you've just now low-pass filtered your signal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't do that in real time, of course, but you know, if you need to convert a square wave to something less of a square wave, you can use that. Yeah. So uh, there's so much I want to talk to you about. <laughs> One of the things I was thinking about was just, you know, kind of for that more these types of projects, these more sort of advanced things that you get into, I could imagine that somebody might say, well, what types of tools or uh, boards or other kinds of things would be good places to not start, but to go mm-hmm. maybe next? Yeah, yeah. And so maybe we could start with that, like a, the board kind of thing. I, you do a lot of projects with the the Raspberry Pi Pico, where you, yeah. you've created two or three different things. The uh, Maybe we can mention just briefly here, like your, your Pico Touch sort of touch keyboard mm-hmm. which i show everybody oh right <laughs> i on. love Thank that you. thing yeah it's super, <laughs> awesome. super yeah, cool me too. <laughs> i keep one in my in my in my laptop bag all the time <laughs> yeah it's really neat because i bought one of those cord uh touch things back in the day when they came along and i'm like oh my god i can build one of these for you know this much and all i gotta do is just hopefully properly solder uh, a raspberry pi pico on it <laughs> and then to order the raspberry pi pico from something like digikey and get them in like this plastic container that has like it looks like you know, chiclet gum or something like that. Yeah. Get like three or four of them. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think of that board as like kind of a neat board. It is a Raspberry Pi just with certain aspects of it. Well, it, it's a Raspberry Pi Pico. So one of the, one of the very frustrating things about, about Raspberry Pi is so, so they made this very successful line of single board computers called Raspberry Pis. Right. Like the company is called Raspberry Pi, the product is called Raspberry Pi. And these things are computers that run an OS, they run Linux, they run full Python, they run Apache, plug in a monitor, anything you want. Right. Plug in a monitor, plug in a keyboard, plug in a mouse, and it's a real computer. You can run, you know, Chrome on it or whatever. But then they came out with this amazing chip called the RP2040, and the first little board that, that, that carried that chip was called the Pico, but the full name of it was the Raspberry Pi Pico because it comes from the Raspberry Pi company. Oh, okay. So confusion, And so yeah. the problem there is that, is that people hear Raspberry Pi Pico, and they think, oh, it's like a small version of a Raspberry Pi. And it's like, no. It has nothing. This, this is this is a different board. Yeah, yeah it's totally different, and and so so it's so frustrating because because it's a pretty good board. I mean, one of the things that makes it really good is it's four dollars. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> um, and and that's one of the main reasons why I use them is that is that they are the easy to use, almost disposable board. Like I, I feel. Like because they're four dollars, I can do some experiments with it that I maybe wouldn't feel comfortable doing on a more expensive board that I care about. Right. If I damage this, I'm not going to feel too awful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 because Circuit Python and Arduino uh, work on so many of these boards, and often like a better board, like for instance, take that Feather DVI that also has an RP2040 chip in it, but that's a more expensive board. It has a lot of extra features, like it's got a battery management system and it's got that big HDMI connector. Yeah. And so if I slipped with the wires and fried that board, I'd be sad. 
you know, because it's it, like, not only is it more expensive, but it's a bit harder to come by, you know? Yeah. It's hard to get right now. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so like, I can do most all the experiments I need to do on the Pico. And then once I'm like, okay, I think I know what's going on here. I can just, you know, copy my code over to the Raspberry Pi, sorry, to the Feather DVI board and like have maybe a couple of changes on at the top to say which pins to use because maybe I chose different pins or something. I, I love the Raspberry Pi Pico for that because it, it kind of makes me feel less anxious about it. Am I going to mess something up? <laughs> yeah, you've done two or three projects. The other project I, I dig is the the Pico Step. Is that what it's called? Pico Step Seek? Oh, the, the <laughs> sequencer. Pico Step Seek. Yeah, yeah. So I did that one last uh, last year, uh, right before, it was two weeks before Circuit Python Day, which is a sort of annual thing that Adafruit has decided to create. Um, of just like, hey, let's get everybody who likes Circuit Python to talk about it. At the same time, John Park had found a source for these things that he called step switches, which are these cool 80s looking switches that have a built-in LED they're kind of big and chunky, and they they like straight off an eight hundred eight. Yeah, they're they're, they're so they're so just lovely because they go click click click, and they've got these this this red LED that just looks very seventies eighties, and um and so I'm like oh man, you know a Raspberry Pi Pico, eight of these switches, a knob, a little display, and MIDI out. Okay, I can do this in two weeks. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So so whipped up a quick board because like because every pin on the on the Raspberry Pi Pico can like do a bunch of stuff. It was really easy to, to, to wire up. Like, I didn't have to think too hard about how to wire it up. And I just sent the board out. And while the board was working, I, I worked on the software on, a, on the Adafruit macro pad, which is basically the same sort of setup. You know, it's got 12 buttons. It's got a better display, but I was able to get most of the sequencer working. And then when the board showed up, I just quickly soldered it together and, and it worked, and, uh, and and it was a pretty usable little step, little MIDI step sequencer, in a size about the about the the the, the dimensions of a paperback book. And yeah, the total cost was like I don't know, maybe thirty bucks in parts or something. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun project. Yeah, it's um, it was my first time really playing around with CircuitPython with with a display, and that was kind of interesting. That it was like, oh, okay, just, you know, just connecting it into this board, and it just just worked which is really nice yeah um, my hardest part was uh the 3d printing and, and making sure i had the height of the <laughs> pico correct because <laughs> i ended up soldering it right down at the board level instead of using the standoffs right so. <laughs> right yeah i struggled so hard with that so uh, and like the, the little 3d printed case i made is like totally a, a hack job that i did in one day basically and so it's it's got a lot of problems and i'm Good on you for actually getting to work a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's here. It looks really pretty. It's printed in, in uh, yellow and blue. Oh, and you can hear awesome. all the little, little switches. Oh, very so. good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. It uses uh, the eighth-inch jack uh, version of MIDI, which is really kind of cool that you can use those plugs. And so I, you have a, I think you have the same little synth, the uh, Korg digital... Oh, the the NTS one, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that thing. It sounds very, very cool. So just playing around with that, totally tie it together. Yeah. So if you were going to start a project today, that would be a pretty common board for you to reach for. Would be the the Raspberry Pi Pico. Yeah, I would I would say because it it does require you to solder a little bit. I would say I would say the big fork in the road is how comfortable are you with soldering. Okay, and if you're if you're a little bit comfortable, then I'd say the Pico is fine. But one of the cool things that both SparkFun and Adafruit have done is they've made a line of boards and sensors 
that don't need, don't require soldering. They like uh, it's the same protocol, but uh, Sparkfun calls it Quick Q U I I C, okay. and Adafruit calls it Stemma QT. And it's essentially I squared C, which is a a smart serial protocol. Um, uses four wires, and so these boards will have these little jacks. And so if you want to hook up a knob and a slider and a display and a little like temperature sensor, you can just get one of the, one of the Adafruit boards that has a Stemma QT jack on it and get some of these boards like the knob or the slider the the temperature sensor that has a stem qt jack on it and just plug them together with cables and so there's no soldering and so then later if you want to like then move up to a board where you've designed it yourself or maybe build it on a breadboard using using the same parts but cheaper you can then start to explore soldering up your own stuff yeah and and that's really easy to do but like it's really fast to get going with the stem qt stuff if you just want to try out an idea like, oh, hey, yeah, would a, would a lit, lit up key switch be cool for this idea? Let me try, you know, click a click. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think the in-between the two would be maybe putting the uh, the standoff leg so that you could insert it into a, like a breadboard or yeah. something like that. Yeah, that's, that, that's, so that's typically my methodology is I will solder the, the breadboard pins that are the header pins onto the pico then i plug the pico into a little solderless breadboard and then i get like random little uh devices that also have the breadboardable header pins and stick those into the breadboard and then i'll run jumper wires between the pico and the the board whatever board is like it like lately it's been a little audio output boards and uh and pots and knobs and stuff so i can make little synthesizer toys yeah but yes, but that's but that's a very quick quick way to try stuff out. It's um not very stable because all this stuff is kind of like held together with spring loaded bits of metal, and so like if you shake it too much, it'll come undone, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. but but it, but it's good for trying stuff out. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that I, I was impressed with with some of the projects that you've you've built when I was watching your, and actually kind of learned it more from your videos, is you know most of these boards need power, so like you're going to need. You know, if, if it has audio outputs or something like that, you can def- definitely connect there. But uh, usually the power is brought in by the USB connection. And so you're using these. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're almost ubiquitous. Like they were like the, the thing that you got at a conference yep. or, or something like that was like the little <laughs> battery, you know, like charge a uh, top off your phone battery. And I ended up never using it for that yep. Um, yep. because like the phone batteries were fine. And I ended up like with like 10 or 12 of these things laying around. Yep. And I got a fantastic one from uh, last year's PyCon. AWS had this huge one that has, it's like, kind of coated in rubber and has like <laughs> suction cups on it and has two outputs. And so I actually can power my projects then, you know, yeah. I can actually, instead of having to like, cause that's the one area that I, I've kind of failed at. I've been trying to get better at. It's like, okay, well I want to make a board that I can maybe do Bluetooth with. And so now it needs to be remote and have power. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, how, how can I do this easily? And I think that might be the the easiest way <laughs> to kind of get around it because the batteries are pretty massive in these things, you know. Yeah, yeah, but and, and that's that's kind of the, the strange paradox of these of these little phone charger bricks that yeah. like were so so common uh, like ten years ago or, or so is that nowadays our phones batteries are so big yeah. that the, these little like like lipstick ones that we used to get at the conferences <laughs> they will they will maybe add like two percent or five percent of charge to your <laughs> yeah, phone yeah they're, it's like, like, like yeah <laughs> they're, they're useless yeah they're useless for that but because like these little microcontroller projects they draw like 20 30 milliamps which is like 
one tenth of what, or sorry, one one hundredth of what a phone will pull. So you can run these little projects off of these normally junked uh, USB power banks for hours. Yeah, you know, um, it was it was kind of funny that the, this most recent uh, I made a little video earlier today, and I'd forgotten this little like uh, lipstick kind of shaped one that I'd been using for. Geez, like months, uh, where I'd use it for like maybe half an hour, then I put it away. Use it half an hour, put it away. It finally died on me today. I was like, "Oh no!" I was in the middle of recording this video, and it died. <laughs> yeah, it's like surprise. You do have yeah. to charge it occasionally, <laughs> maybe before you Turns record. <laughs> yeah, too funny. Yeah, I was impressed with with that as a technique. I'm like, "Oh, actually, I can power the little synthesizer and the sequencer at the same time." And yeah, yeah, it's kind of nice kind of a neat trick. Some of the other things that I've heard you talk about, not only on the bootloader, but just kind of seen you mentioned otherwise, were kind of tools for the person who's, ah yes, you know, getting a little further into CircuitPython. And I think that you mentioned that you're not a big fan of IDE kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are resources you would use, like if you need to make sure that your projects, you know, maybe you're trying to test out a sensor and see, like, is it receiving the right numbers and, and so forth um, as far as coming in and out of the board? What are some of the resources you use there? Uh, so, so yeah, so I, I, I kind of, I like to divide these up into sort of two areas, software and hardware. Sure. For the, for the software tools, the way I program is I'm, I'm an old school programmer. And so I program by having a text editor window and one or more terminal windows open. Okay. And that's how I've been programming for decades. And so that how that's how I program in CircuitPython, is I have a terminal window open that I use a tool called TIO, T-I-O. Um, but you can use any serial terminal program to connect to the virtual serial port that CircuitPython presents to you. And that's where you see the, the CircuitPython REPL. And then in the other window, I have the code.py open, sorry, in, in the in the text editor window, I have the code.py open that is on the CircuitPy drive of the CircuitPython device. Okay. And so... Uh, my sort of standard workflow is I make edits to the code.py, I save it, that causes a reload that I can see happen in the, the terminal REPL, and I can see what how my code is working. And so that works great. It also is very transferable. You can do that on a Chromebook. You can do that on an iPad. I've even done it a little bit on an iPhone. <laughs> You're opening terminal windows that way? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a little terminal program that I've got for... Uh, for uh, the iPhone that I found somewhere. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah, cool. Even if you don't have that, you can still edit the code.py and uh right. and 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 watch it run. And so it's just com- cons- compared to how you had to install the the Arduino IDE and it only ran on certain computers and stuff. It's really kind of cool that like wow, you know, our our microcontrollers are becoming so powerful that they can become sort of citizens uh, <laughs> of of your computing space rather than these pure peripherals. So that's kind of how I work as a you know terminal and, and code editor, uh, sorry, t- uh, text editor. Then you're like, well, what is the equivalent of PIP in the CircuitPython world? Oh, yeah. And for a long time, there there hasn't been one. But for like years now, there's been this thing called CIRCUP, C-I-R-C-U-P, written by this guy named Nira, his handle is NiraDoc. This is open source. You can get it on, on GitHub. It works on all the platforms. And you can use it very much like PIP, where you just, you just say, hey, I want to install this library. And you just say CIRCUP install library name and it gets put onto your device for you and that is super handy because a lot of the really hard work is done by these libraries <laughs> and so having yeah, yeah. having that is super handy yeah i was impressed with that like i that was the one that i that i was like 
oh, I didn't know that was available. And when you had, you know, I, I assembled everything and kind of put it together. And, you know, normally you would have to go find the sort of collection of uh, additional libraries and then, you know, physically move them into the appropriate directory and, uh, in the, you know, flash drive-like yeah, uh, yeah. area of the CircuitPython device that you're going to. And this is just does that automatically. Just it knows the destination. And it, I, I thought that was really a handy little tool. Yeah, it's it's super powerful because because yeah because these like one one of these sort of official ways you install these these libraries is you go and you download the zip bundle and then you unzip it and you pull out the library and you hand drag and drop it over to the the circuit CircuitPy drive, but in all those steps, there's a lot of ways you can do it wrong, right? Or you're duplicating stuff sometimes too. Exactly, and one of the worst, like because because CircuitPython has a couple different paths that it searches for libraries for. Like it's got like oh the current directory that your code.py is in, and the lib directory, and you know, uh, and maybe you've got something else. Um, but it's very easy to have multiple versions of the same library, and it's really hard to diagnose those sort of problems. You're like, but I just deleted the library. How is this still loading the library? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. um, so yeah, so so Circup can can make all those problems go away. Another another tool written by the same fellow is called Disco Tool that lets you find the drive name and serial port name of the CircuitPython device installed, like, sorry, plugged into your system, which is really handy, I found, on Linux and Windows, where I always forget where in the dev tree on Linux that the serial devices live, and I can never find COM ports on Windows. I don't... (laughs) I always have to go to go... I always have to, like, dig through Device Manager and stuff, and, like, I'm sure there's a faster way of doing it, but, like, just running Disco Tool solves the problem. Okay. Would that help with the TO at all? Also, like, learning port numbers and things like that exactly exactly yeah it uh, it'll it'll tell you it'll tell you what which which port to use with with to cool yeah so it's like it's like disco tool to find where your where your device is in your computer you circ up to install libraries onto the device and then to to connect to the serial REPL of the device nice and uh and then whatever text editor you like to use <laughs> yeah yeah one of the things that i want to mention is uh i don't know if you're already going to mention this but you have a, a nice repository on your github of circuit python dash tricks yes <laughs> which i think is mainly <laughs> you write it as like i always forget these things <laughs> yeah. and uh need to remember them and I, i'm that way too like certain you know techniques and stuff that that i, I do it's like ugh, it's like nice to have a it's almost like a little awesome list of stuff to thanks yeah to, to remember how to do yeah so one of the things i have is in my home directory i have all these name of thing dash hints dot txt and so i've got i've got <laughs> git dash hints dot txt and you know python dash hints dot txt and I've, so i've got all these little text files that i've been editing some of them i've been editing for like 10 20 years especially the github one the, sorry sorry the git one that one's just like full of random things that i've been that i've had to because who can remember all the crazy command line switches to git right right but yeah so so uh, i'd i'd started creating a similar one for circuit python but then John Park kept asking me, he's like, wait, now how do you do this thing? And I'd be like, oh, and I'd just quickly copy and paste it to him. And he'd be like, man, how is it you're so fast with that? <laughs> he's like, you, you must know Python really well. I'm like, no, no, I just did like a like a, a search on this on this circuitpython hints.txt file and, and just copy and pasted it. <laughs> nice. So yeah, so so he 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 kind of convinced me that um that I should like post it online somewhere. 
And so, so much of much of the content of CircuitPython tricks is inspired from John Park's questions. And uh, <laughs> thanks, John. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, it's at uh, GitHub.com/slash/Todbotslash/CircuitPythonTricks. You can find it in the show notes, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll definitely include the links for that. I, I got cool. a pretty uh, healthy list of things I'm going to be linking to. So. Oh, excellent! Thank you. How did you uh, get the name Toddbot? Is that something you created on your own? Uh, no, it was a it was a name given to me by my best friend in high school long long ago, and uh, and I I I did not like it for the longest time. I told her I was never going to like you know go buy it at all. And then <laughs> and then it, and then in the nineties when you know we were buying when people were buying domain names for things to make your own domain name. Right. I decided well I might as well use this as my domain name, and then yeah. that kind of became my handle. <laughs> yeah, I have. Uh... A handle of uh off and on i've used it called a sound orphan oh that's awesome um, this, this friend gave it to me she's like you have all these songs that have no homes <laughs> oh, <laughs> basically no. all these are like <laughs> random like pieces of music and it's like yeah these are my sound orphans <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> so yeah oh one last software uh, yeah, tool go ahead. is this online simulator for the raspberry pi pico and other chips okay it's called Wokwi. W-O-K-W-I. And you can use it to run CircuitPython on a virtual Raspberry Pi Pico in your browser. Nice. <laughs> and you can and you can hook up little virtual LEDs and virtual buttons and other stuff. And so if you're interested in playing around with CircuitPython and trying to see like how it differs from normal Python, you can like right now go to this website and and play with a virtualized version of a Raspberry Pi Pico running CircuitPython. And it's pretty good. I actually try out a bunch of things when I'm like trying to figure out, okay, what's like the more sort of Python way of doing this idea? You know, it's, it's I, I, I kind of taught myself list comprehensions while using this, you know, because I, want, cause, cause, cause I wanted to make sure, yeah, yeah, because I wanted to make sure that like, oh, do do the things you can do in normal Python also work in CircuitPython for this list comprehension stuff? And and it turns out the answer is yes, like, because it's, it's pretty much Python. But at, at the time, I was like, I don't know, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that that looks really nice. I, I've seen a few other kind of resources that kind of are, are similar, but this seems much more complete and has so many different of the boards and then also the, you know, you being able to try it out with uh, lots of the different languages to kind of mess with them which is cool yeah yeah i'll i'll yeah it's it, it's a little much now um because there's a lot of things that, that walk we can do so I'll, I'll give you a link to the one that's just for circuit python to put in the in the notes nice all right great yeah and I, I mentioned it briefly you know the the projects that you have you have you have gotten into like you said creating the circuit boards you know going beyond the, the breadboard and trying it out in person <laughs> but that seems like a really kind of neat thing and what sort of tools are you using to create the the circuit boards that you do, or at least design them? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm still using Eagle, which was the tool that everyone used in the sort of open source maker community, uh, you know, o- open hardware community for like a long time. Okay. But it got purchased by Autodesk, which firstly, initially was like, yay, because Autodesk put a lot of money into it. But then they started saying, oh, we're actually going to be moving all the Eagle schematic and pcb design stuff into fusion 360 and it's going to be part of fusion 360 and you're gonna have to pay for it and Uh and so you know i've got this this 
permanently purchased version of Eagle that has never that hasn't been updated in multiple years, and so at some point it's just going to stop working. And I'm just I'm just dreading that day. I've been slowly learning KiCad or KiCad, yeah, and it's in so many ways so much better than Eagle. Like just just for me goofing around with it, I'm like, wow. You know, where I've been like living, living in like the, 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 the dirty part of town. And now I'm in like, you know, this awesome, cool, fancy town. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm intrigued by Thea Flowers work on her, um, that will be kind of in the browser. Um, yes. I know it's kind of, I'm not sure if it's a 1.0 yet or not, but, um, she's been working really hard on it. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a as a it's a KiCad viewer. So so if you if you come across a a, a KiCad schematic or, or board layout on the web somewhere, you can just drop the URL to it into her viewer, and you can just see it and scroll around and see all the parts and stuff and how they're wired up. And that's been super instructive to me. So big thumbs up to that. Thank you, Thea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely cool. Yeah, and so if people are interested, uh, definitely will include links not only to the specific repositories we talked about but also your your github uh generally which has you know a ton of different projects that you do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then um some of the physical hardware ones if people are into building projects you still have some of the stuff up on tindy right oh yeah 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 the uh the people had always been asking me like hey why don't you put this random get thing that you made and put a video up on why don't you make that available to for us to buy somewhere and i'm like i'm not really into that you know right it's not it's not really it's not really ready for prime time to be sold i'm not really ready for the support issues of this and for some reason i don't know last year i decided okay maybe i'll just like start putting some of this stuff up on the tindy just to give people an answer when they have the question of like hey can i have one of these (laughs) um because 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 when you get pcbs made yeah the sort of minimum order is five and so well it's like well i just need kind of two i need one to uh mess up on because i'm gonna right. end up messing up mess up on <laughs> somehow sure you know and then, I, then i need one to make it nice and look pretty and then that'll be the one that i actually want to use and so then you got three left over it's like okay well maybe maybe if i instead buy 10 or 20 uh, i'll still have the two that i want to use and then i can like just quickly put the other 18 in a bag and take a picture of them, put, put them on my tindy. And so that's, so that's what I've been doing. And it's been nice. It's been paying for some of my, my goofy experiments in, in synthesizers lately. Yeah, the next project <laughs> that you do. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I was I always talk about this, that I'm just almost baffled by the idea that you can make five only, you know, because like I, I, I'm come from the era of the 90s of like, sorry, a, a thousand minimum order of CDs. Yep. And it's like, uh. yep. yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it was very painful. No, and, and it's and it's and it's so it's so crazy how like it's just so easy now. Like if you you can whip up a board in KiCad pretty quick and then just, you know, do what's called exporting the Gerbers, which is basically creating these uh standardized image files that you give to the board house yeah, like the layers of the board yeah right? exactly it's, it's it's exactly like photoshop la- sorry yeah like like photoshop layers or illustrator layers and um and then you just upload a zip file of those gerber files to the board house and they say okay that'll be uh five dollars and then twenty dollars shipping <laughs> or something <laughs> right <laughs> right so or, or or if you want to do it in the u.s like uh like osh park is really good it'll be more sorry it'll take more time but it's like a lot of times you don't care if it takes like two weeks versus one week and so <laughs> yeah yeah so cool awesome do you think we hit most of the stuff that you wanted to talk about oh one one thing and that's the hardware tools area real quick 
we mentioned the USB power bank, um, which is great. Yeah. Other thing that I, I found really really handy is a USB power meter. Oh, okay. Which is a thing that's got like a like a USB plug on one side and a USB jack on the other side, and you plug it in between your CircuitPython device and your computer, and it'll tell to you see how the draw or... to, exactly to see the power draw, and um, and that's really handy if you inadvertently hook, hook up something wrong. Sometimes uh, if you hook up something really wrong, like short power and ground your computer will just turn off that usb port it'll go hey the <laughs> the the usb board is chart is is pulling too much power i'm going to shut it down like this is this is kind of one of the features of usb right and uh but but if it's a if it's a softer error like you kind of wired it up a little weird and it's drawing like four times more power that's still within the usb power budget but it could be damaging your board perhaps and so by having a little usb power meter you can go hey wait a minute it was drawing 20 milliamps now it's drawing 80 milliamps i should unplug it <laughs> yeah i've done something weird yeah okay and so, so that's so, cool yeah so, so that's really handy it, it saved my bacon a couple times the other is uh, a little usb uh hub that has switches on it to like so you can like uh, just uh, just for power switches they're like eight dollars or twelve dollars, and it's just a real quick way of of turning on and off your board uh, okay. without having to physically un- without having to physically plug and unplug it. That's all. <laughs> I don't like those jacks. I, I'm not a fan of. Is it micro or which one is this one that that's on almost all the boards? I can't wait for everything to be C, but it's probably too expensive right now. Yeah, yeah. The Raspberry Pi Pico used a used a mi- a, a micro B connector, which is kind of kind of insane but uh it's easy to to wreck it <laughs> yeah if you're yeah. being a little too hardy with it <laughs> yeah so. yeah so so the fewer times you're you're stressing that connector the better you'll be <laughs> yeah yeah definitely oh cool yeah that sounds good so i have these weekly questions i like to ask everybody and the first one is what's something that you're excited about that's happening in the world of python oh see this is this is where my lack of greater like the larger python world is at a disadvantage for me I think for me, I just want to learn more about sort of the internals of CircuitPython. Um, like one of, the, one of the really one of the really nice things about CircuitPython, if you start looking at like the GitHub repository for it, is you kind of get to see how how Python thinks about things from like the inside. Okay. And that's that's I find that really interesting. Like you just like oh, it's like everything's an object, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and, and so and so and and seeing how it thinks about numbers, which is very important when you're doing certain kinds of like like data processing, like you know, like samples or waveforms or display objects or whatever. That's pretty much the main thing. Is is like I, I want to look into like how the internals of the the CircuitPython NumPy stuff works. Yeah, and see kind of and see how some of the synthio stuff works i've been very much being keep, keep myself at a hand uh, at an arm's length with it because i've been wanting to look in there and maybe trying to modify stuff but i don't want to step on jeppler's toes because he's actually knows what's going on and i don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and this is probably related to that then um what's something that you want to learn next it doesn't have to be programming in this case let's see um yeah i think i think i i kind of want to look back so my original uh, schooling was in electrical engineering, and I actually had a bunch of DSP, digital signal processing, as my emphasis, and I've forgotten almost all of it. So I want to kind of go back and like relearn some of that stuff, and from a first principle sort of way, just to see, like, okay, what is this? What is this biquad filter actually doing? You know, <laughs> wow, because I used to know it, and I don't know it anymore. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, this is a, years ago. I, I think I found a resource that was like a, a Python, a, basically signal processing with Python, kind of like combination thing. I don't know if that would fall in the line of would be useful mm, um, would yeah. hit the things you want, but it was definitely uh, sort of learning about signal processing by playing around with it with uh, with Python. Totally, which I thought was kind of a neat book. Yeah, that's great. I'll, I'll, I'll include it as a link and send it your way. Oh, definitely. <laughs> if yeah. I can find it. Yeah, I've been I've been steering I've been steering clear, unfortunately, from a lot of the like normal Python documentation because because Python is used on such big, complicated projects now. Sure, and you and you can do so much in such so few lines of code for these big problems that I'm like, but I have very small problems <laughs> and, I'm, <laughs> and I'm still, I'm still trying to learn some of the, trying to learn how to think in a Python way because, because a lot of things become a lot faster if you do them more idiomatically. And so it's really hard to find the documentation. Like the, the real Python site has actually been a pretty good source of like, here's some basics of like how to, how to see what is the bottom level of Python, what's going on. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Awesome. How can people follow the stuff that you do online? What's the best way? Uh, let's see. So I'm on Mastodon at uh, Toddbot at Mastodon.social. I've also got a YouTube channel that I'll link. I think it's like youtube.com slash Toddbot that I also usually post videos. My tactic nowadays has been I make a little stupid toy thing and I'll post a GitHub gist of it. And then I'll post a YouTube video showing it in action because it's one thing to just see the code, especially with this with this display stuff or with the audio stuff. Yeah, it's another thing to actually see it actually working and seeing how it interacts. If you, if it's got if it's got knobs or buttons, just to kind of see how it behaves. And it's really hard to get that across with just static text of the code of the source code. And so I always for every gist, I want to have a little video. And I'll post the video on YouTube usually, and I'll, then I'll post both the code and the YouTube onto Mastodon. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, I think I've caught up on, on a few of those things. Um, that's nice. Yeah. And then and then once in a blue moon, I'll post on my blog, which is toddbot.com slash blog. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We, we all should be blogging more, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. We should all own our content, not put it in somebody else's uh, <laughs> exactly machine or whatever. Yeah. Well, Todd, it's been so much fun talking to you. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Christopher. I want to thank Todd Kurt for coming on the show this week. And I want to thank you for listening to the Real Python podcast. Make sure that you click that follow button in your podcast player. And if you see a subscribe button somewhere, remember that the Real Python podcast is free. If you like the show, please leave us a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and I look forward to talking to you soon.